0: And welcome again uh, to our church. We're thankful you're here. Uh, As we uh, read John chapter 10, uh, this morning I want to remind you that we're going through the gospel of John for the next several months. If this is your first Sunday here, we're thankful you're here and hopefully you're excited about studying uh, God's word to us in John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 30 this morning. Honestly, I needed more time this past week uh, to study 31 through 42. These are some of the hardest words Jesus ever says in that passage. So I need some more time uh, to work on it. And, uh, friend, so with that, we're going to be looking at verses John 10, verses 22 through 30. Uh, so hopefully you have got a print Bible open in front of you. Again, if you see one of those blue hardback Bibles, grab one of those. Uh, nothing I say is more important than what you're about to read. Uh, friend, here are the words... Of the Lord to us this morning. This is John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking into the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. I and the Father are one. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open in front of you as we pray. Father, we pray that we would see your hands and that we would see the hands of Jesus who hold us and keep us in perfect peace who give us eternal life through faith in your Son. Thank you that you accomplished what we never could, that you died the death that we deserved, that you rose again to bring us to eternity with you. Holy Spirit, even now, be at work in the hearts, and the minds of the people here. Uh, Call those who need to be called. Assure those who need your assurance, Holy Spirit. Comfort us. Help us to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we're going through uh, John, you'll remember the past few weeks there's been a lot of discussion about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Now, you can go online and catch up on some past sermons, but the last two weeks we've been really studying what it means for Jesus to be the Good Shepherd. And right here in verse 22, if you look down in the Bible in front of you, uh, it tells us that there's now a time uh, gap between these past two Sundays' uh, sermons, and now in verse 22, it's going to sort of fast forward two months in advance, but Jesus is going to continue this motif, this theme of talking about how his people are like the sheep of his pasture and how he is the good shepherd. And if you remember anything from the past two weeks, I hope you remember that in the ancient Near Eastern world, uh, shepherds did not drive the sheep from behind, you know, with whips and things. It wasn't a the shepherd's role was not to drive the sheep. He led the sheep by being out in front and he calls his sheep by name and they follow him. And that's the image that Jesus says he uses for his relationship with us. Uh, That God is not behind us driving you to do more for him. He's actually out in front of you. He's out in front of your life. And what he's doing is he's calling you to follow him and to trust him that if you follow the voice of Jesus, he'll lead you to good pasture, right? That's what he says. I'll lead you to good pasture. And earlier, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, have life abundantly. And so a sheep, you know, a believer in Jesus, a sheep is somebody who listens to the voice of the shepherd and knows that if they follow Jesus' call on their life, that they will be blessed and they will experience life to the fullest. And that anybody else who's going against Jesus or any temptation that seems to pull you away from Christ a sheep knows that that is a stranger's voice and that a stranger's only intention is to deceive and to mistreat you and harm you. Now, that's been the past two weeks, right? But right there in verse 22, it says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. And all that sentence means is now it's been sort of two months since the previous uh, passages. And right there, you may, uh, you may wonder, what, what's the Feast of Dedication? Uh, well, you know it by another name. It's Hanukkah. Uh, you know, it means dedication, and Hanukkah in Hebrew is just the Hebrew word for to dedicate. And so right here, uh, it tells us that at the time of Hanukkah, it was going on in Jerusalem, and Jesus is back now in Jerusalem. And we also know it's Hanukkah because that's exactly what the Hebrew word means. And also, John gives us a wonderful eyewitness reminder. He says it was winter. <laughs> you know, there's, there's really no reason other than that's just sort of an eyewitness marker for you to know that John was there. And uh, we know that he makes a point of that because he probably remembers how cold and rainy it was. Uh, In Greek right there, that word winter can also mean rainy season and rain and sort of bad weather. And that explains right there in verse 23 why Jesus is walking in the portico of Solomon. He's, he's walking in a certain area of the temple where when the east wind blew in, it wouldn't hit you right there. And also, it had a covered patio area, right? So the rain wouldn't get you, right? So all of that is just a marker for us to remember that what John is writing down for us really does come to us as if this person were an eyewitness. I mean, it really doesn't advance the story, does it? I mean, do you really care whether it was winter or spring? Well, I mean, Hanukkah happens during winter. I guess that's cool, but it's not really necessary. Unless, of course, it's a marker for us to know that we can trust that the words that you and I are reading really do come to us from an eyewitness, that these really are the words of the beloved apostle, that John the apostle is writing to us. And you better believe he remembers how rainy and depressing it was uh, at Hanukkah that year. And the reason he does that is because Jesus has come back Uh, to Jerusalem, it's been two months, and as soon as he's back, what happens? Well, uh, right there in verse 24, it tells us that the religious leaders, uh, the Jews right there, and that Jews, of course, remember, it doesn't mean every Jewish person because John and Jesus and the disciples are Jewish. Uh, When John says the Jews, he means particularly the Judeans, uh, the people of Judah who were the religious leaders, uh, the sort of the important people, and especially the people that reject Jesus, it's right there in verse 24 at Hanukkah. Uh, Jesus is teaching at the temple. And it says in verse 24 that the religious leaders, the opponents of Jesus, you see in verse 24, it says they gathered around him. They gather around him. And really what that word means right there, um, it's not like you know, they're, they're gathering together to have you know, coffee you know, or tea. You know, it's not like, hey, let's do the 10 a.m. Bible study with Jesus and see how it goes. Uh, that's not at all what that word gathered around means. It means... They have come to surround him. That's literally what the word means, to surround him, the way armies would surround their enemies. And remember, just in John chapter 8, we're told that these people tried to stone Jesus when he said things like, before Abraham ever was, I am. And then in John chapter 5, several chapters before this, it also tells us that they were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. And so, in fact, Jesus has left Jerusalem because people were seeking to kill him. And now Jesus has come back to Jerusalem. And his opponents start off right off where they left. They're seeking to kill him. And, uh, friends, that's not an overstatement. Because if you just turn the page in your Bible, you'll see in verse 31, the verse that we'll look at next week, it says right there that when Jesus is done speaking, when he says, I and the Father are one, what do they do? Well, they pick up stones to stone him, right? So when it says these people are surrounding Jesus, um, it kind of helps shed light on what is it these people are wanting Jesus to tell him. And in verse 24, they come to Jesus with a specific question. They tell him right there, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us. (laughs) Tell us boldly or publicly or plainly, just tell us who the heck you are. And, of course, what they're wanting Jesus to do, I hope you see, you know, they're not saying, Jesus, just show us who you are. What they're saying is, Jesus, why don't you go ahead and declare that you're the Messiah and the Son of God so we can be justified in killing you and, and ending you. you know, say something where we can catch you. So the first thing I want you to really realize this morning, um, for, and it sounds hard, but I want you to hear this as, um, as much as I can as your pastor. Um, And I know this is going to be hard uh, in today's world and just the way that you and I think. You know, we just think in postmodern categories. And um, it's hard to sometimes know all the ways that culture and sort of the the world around us shape how we make sense of the world. Um, I always think about it like this. There's this, you know, there's the, the, the story about there's, you know, two young fish. You know, anyone heard this story? There's two young fish and they're swimming through the ocean together and they're just chatting. And then the old fish comes by, this old grumpy fish, you know, and he says, hey guys, how's the water? And then he, they look at him funny and they keep swimming and eventually one of the young fish turns to the other and says, what the heck is water? <laughs> so the idea, of course, is that the older and the wiser you are, the more aware you are of how the things surrounding us affect us, right? But maybe immature people, they don't always see that the way uh, that the world and culture shape how we make sense of reality, uh, so uh, with that, what I'm going to say may be challenging to you, but I want you to ask, is it challenging because you're, you don't think it's true? Or is it challenging because you don't think you can say stuff like that today? And is it really, is it the water that's affecting you, or is this not what the Bible teaches? Because really what we're seeing in this passage is as much as Jesus has repeatedly said who he is, what he has come to do, Over and over again, he continues to explain who he is. Uh, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Only I can set you free from your sins. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But if you are not set free by the Son, you are a slave to sin. Only I can set you free. See, these are the things that Jesus is saying. And for our modern ears, that can be so challenging. Because really what Jesus is doing is he's forcing everybody into a decision, um, in a, in a, in an understanding about who he is. And we start to see immediately that Jesus has two groups that he sees. He's talking to all people, calling all people to himself offering forgiveness of their sins in a relationship with God to become who they were always meant to be, who they were designed to be, if they would just be reconciled to God. But only some people are responding to the voice of the shepherd. Now, Jesus has come to the fold, all of the sheep, but only some are responding. Only some come to faith in him. And the shocking thing, of course, is that for Jesus, some people hear him repeatedly explain over and over again who he is, what he has come to do. And instead of becoming clearer, uh, the, the brilliance and the brightness of what Jesus is saying, it doesn't give them eyes to see, it blinds them. And that's exactly how Jesus responds. Look at verse 25. They say, tell us who you are. And Jesus says, how do you not know who I am? I have told you repeatedly, repeatedly you know who I am. But look what he says in verse 25. He says, I told you. The problem is not that you don't know what Jesus says, right? What's the problem? He says, your problem is you choose not to believe. That's your problem. It's not that it's not clear. It's that you choose not to believe. And then he says, if you don't believe my words, they're also the works that I do. Just look at the things that I'm doing. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But again, what's the problem? He repeats it in verse 26. You do not believe. Uh, So uh, right here what we're seeing is as uh, beautiful uh, as Jesus is, as full of compassion and grace. Uh, The the same Jesus that is willing to go uh, to the woman at the well who had been married five times and was living with her boyfriend and was totally rejected by the Samaritans, the same Jesus who will love and forgive the prostitute who's weeping at his feet, the same Jesus who raises a little girl back from the dead and then reminds everybody to give her a snack to eat afterward, the same tender-hearted Jesus also says, if you hear my voice, you've got to follow me. You've got to follow me and hear my voice. And if you don't, you are not of my sheep. Are you certain to feel how, how hard that is for us to hear that today? I mean, that's what Jesus says, though. If you do not listen to the voice of the shepherd, if you do not follow him, you're not of his sheep. We're starting to see sort of um, two groups forming, those who follow Jesus and listen to his voice and give him everything, and then the people who reject him ultimately. And Jesus will say to them, you are not of my sheep. I mean, remember Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, there's gonna come a day that people will say, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not do great works? And what will Jesus say in response? He says, "I, I never knew you. I never knew you because you didn't come to me in faith. So I think for for us, uh, I mean, I feel like I talk about that every Sunday because I think this this theme comes up over and over and over and over again in John. And if you feel like I sound like a broken record, I don't because I'm a working record and God wants you to hear this message. And as I was praying about this passage, I was like, do I really have to remind people again and I realized, you know what it is? There are still people in this room that do not listen to the voice of the shepherd. There are still people that need to hear this. And I'm not going to stop saying it until everyone hears the voice of the shepherd. Amen. <sighs> like I said, <laughs> you got to hear me as your pastor on this. If Jesus thinks it's worth repeating over and over and over and over again, it is worth me saying it. That's point one. <laughs> point number two. Jesus uses these two groups, right? People who listen to his voice, people who don't. Jesus uses. I love what Jesus does. Jesus is just so amazing. He is, he is just the best. And I don't mean that in a small way. I mean that in the most literal way ever, because what Jesus does is he he is surrounded by people who are going to kill him. These are people who will kill him, who will kill him in front of his mom. He is surrounded by his disciples who will abandon him, one of whom isn't even really part of the flock to begin with, who's going to betray him, who is never really of us. Judas is in this scene. He's one of his disciples. He's listening. And Jesus is surrounded by people who are trying to kill him. And what Jesus does is he uses that moment, that moment to speak to his people and offer them an incredible promise of their assurance of salvation. That's exactly where Jesus goes. He's so surprising because as he's surrounded by these people, you know what he says? He says, I know you want to kill me, and you think I'm claiming a lot about myself, but let me claim something even more shocking that's gonna drive you even crazier, that for some people is gonna be like the warmth of the brighter and the brighter noonday sun, but for the rest of you, it's gonna be blinding light that's gonna infuriate you. And what Jesus says is he says, my sheep, I give them eternal life. They will know never die. They will live forever. Their salvation is so secure that it is in my hand. And no one can take them out of my hand. In fact, he goes on in verse 29 and he says, They are in my father's hand. And my father, who is greater than anybody, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. You see, friends, um, I, I don't know if everyone knows that. I don't know if a lot of Christians know that the assurance of their salvation is meant to be the foundation of your life. Think about it this way, do you obey God because you love him? You just you just love him. I want to obey. I want to be like Jesus because he loves me. Or do you obey God because you're worried that you're going to lose your salvation? Are you worried that you're going to be kicked out of the family? You know, I'm convinced, having talked to a lot of Christians and looked in my own heart, that a lot of us believe that the gospel, the gospel of grace, it's sort of like it, it's like the front door into the house, you know, or it's like the first step on the path. Yeah, it gets you in the door. You have your sins forgiven, but now for the rest of your life, it's really about your effort. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep doing good works or else you can lose your salvation. Uh, there's many people who were raised in a different faith tradition that taught there were such things as mortal sins. Mortal sins, a sin so heinous if you commit it, you kill grace within you. You kill it. And unless you confess to your priest, it remains unforgiven. Do you obey Jesus because you love him? Or do you obey him out of fear that he's going to kick you out? I mean, I know I've shared it before, but to me, the best analogy I can give of this is uh, years ago, I heard of a pastor who adopted uh, a brother and a sister from Eastern Europe and uh, they couldn't conceive. And so they adopted from overseas and they prepared this beautiful room for this brother and sister. They had all the toys. They painted the room. It was the, the kid's room. It's full of toys, and you know, the parents took their newly adopted children in the room, and they said, here's your room. Here are all the toys. Uh, but for two weeks, the kids didn't play with any toy. They wouldn't touch anything. They were very quiet. And so finally, the mom and the dad took their adopted children, and they said, do you not like your room? Do you, do you want us to change it? Are there other toys you want? And the brother and sister looked at the parents and they said, well, we made, it a, we made agreement with each other that maybe if we don't mess up the room, maybe you won't send us back. See, friends, to me, that is, Christian, do you live like that? Do you live like, yeah, God has adopted me. Yeah, he's brought me into his house. But I better not screw this up because he may send me back one day. I mean, tell me how that leads to a life of joy. Just try. Tell me how that's a life of hope. Tell me how you would ever want to tell somebody else about the goodness of God, that if you screw up, you're getting kicked out of the home. Remember how I made a point that this is an eyewitness, a guy named John? Later on, John writes some more letters. He writes books like 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. We've got them. They're in your New Testament. They're later in the book. Uh, you know, in the Bible, Uh, but listen to how 1 John 5 talks about this idea of assurance. Uh, This is page 1213 in your Bible. You can go there. This is 1 John 5, 13. Same, Same author, same pastoral concern. In 1 John 5, 13, John says this, He says, I'm writing these things to you. (laughs) I wrote this letter. I am writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. John says, I wrote all of 1 John so that you would know that you know, that you know that you have eternal life. Earlier in, in John, I didn't hammer this earlier but in John Jesus will go on and he'll say all that the father gives to me shall come to me and I will lose none of them this is the will of my father what is God's will this is John six thirty nine, and this is the will of God who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but I will raise it up on the last day Uh, Friends, if you confess Jesus as Lord, if you listen to the voice of your shepherd, if you're one of the sheep, um, you need to know that his will is that you are in his hand and nothing can take you out of his hand. You obey Jesus. You follow the voice of the shepherd, not so that you don't get kicked out of the family, but because you are already in the family. Because you love him, because you know that he first loved us. I mean, there's no greater assurance of our salvation than our passage this morning. I mean, listen to the assurance that Jesus talks about our salvation. Look at verse 27. This is back in John 10. I know we're flipping around. In John 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will what? Never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, Christian, if you think someone, including yourself, can cause Jesus to lose his grip on you, what kind of shepherd is Jesus? Jesus doesn't lose his sheep. He's the good shepherd. No one can snatch them out of his hand. No one can snatch you, believer in Jesus, out of the hand of God. And he goes on in verse 29, he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than anything you can think of. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So uh, I, I don't know what kind of questions you know, this, this may bring up to you. Uh, but um, let me just say, you know, I, I think we all know people who have professed faith in Jesus, uh, who may have been baptized. Uh, maybe you prayed a prayer when you were eight somewhere. Um, you know, what do we do with believers who seem to walk away from the faith? Uh, well, it's interesting to me that John, the same author, in 1 John 2.19, he says, there are people who will leave us, who are going to walk away from the faith. But you know what he says in 1 John 2.19? He says, but they were never really of us. They left us, but they were never of us. And when Jesus says that at the judgment day when all people stand before him and he separates the sheep from the goats you know and everyone has to give an account Uh, what what's what I want you to focus on is Jesus doesn't say I knew you for a little while and then you screwed up so I kicked you out of the family what Jesus says to people is he says I never knew you to begin with so if you trust in Jesus If you yearn to follow him, if you feel the Holy Spirit working within you so that you yearn to be righteous, if you can see growth in your life, if you want to be a better Christian, you want to follow Jesus out of love and not duty, friends, these are all markers that you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you have to know that you are in the shepherd's hand and in the Father's hand. But if you don't know where you stand... um, The trajectory of your life is such that it's only going to go more and more in one direction, right? If you follow Jesus uh, five years from now, you're going to have more of Jesus and you're going to be closer to him. Uh, But if you don't listen to the voice of the shepherd now, or there are areas of your life where you're not submitting to him, where you're not believing his word, five years from now, you're going to be even further away from him. And if that's where you are right now, I think you have to ask yourself, have you ever truly come to Christ? Have you really given him everything? Do you listen and follow the voice of the shepherd? So let me just finish with this. Friends, this is a passage about assurance. If you love Jesus, your salvation is not yours for the making. It was one for you on the cross, um, faith is the empty hand that receives God's blessing. And, and you know, the best thing that Jesus can say, uh, the, the ground of your assurance um, is not up to you. Um, you keeping your life together is not what gets you through into eternity. And what Jesus says, if, any, if none of that was clear, he finishes with verse 30. And what he says right there is, is I and the Father are one. And when Jesus says that, that word one right there, this is, a, this is a strange grammatical argument, but the Bible likes to make strange grammatical arguments sometimes. Not strange uh, to them, but to us it may seem. But when he says, I and the Father are one, that word right there, one, is not masculine, it's neuter. And I know that it may not make any sense to you, but if you are a, you know, someone who focuses on grammar, that's very important, because Jesus does not say, I and the Father are Are the same person. That would be the masculine. I and the Father are one dude. He says, I and the Father are of one. Meaning not just that Jesus is God, that's certainly the meaning, but that I and the Father are united around the salvation and the assurance of our people. They are in my hand. And they are in my Father's hand, and no one can snatch them. Me and the Father are united. We are one. We're like that. That's what Jesus is referring to. I mean, how much more assurance, Christian, can Jesus give you? (laughs) That you are in Jesus' hand and the Father's hand. Do you know that? (laughs) I mean, one of the ways you know it is if you know it, you're going to want to follow Jesus more. But of course... Like I said, I know there's some people here who still refuse to hear it. Uh, Jesus saw it in his very life, and we're seeing it today. So let me just encourage you with with this. Um, Christian, when you think about obeying this week, um, are you doing it out of some fear that God's going to reject you or your salvation is up to your work? Or do you obey and follow the voice of the shepherd because you know his love for you? if you can make that flip in your life, it'll mean everything, Uh, you'll finally start to experience joy and true humility in your walk. Uh, Friends, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that our salvation is so sure, uh, that for those who call upon your name, Lord, that believe in your Son, that are baptized, uh, Lord, that they are eternally secure, uh, that it is the work of you and the Father for our salvation. Father, we pray for everyone that we would know where we stand and that we would each know your love for us. Amen.